Open your Bible to 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit today. We've been doing some heavy theology, and I just felt like I wanted to go a different direction. So we may come to that, back to that, and I may, I may mess you up even more and talk more about the future at some point. But I just wanted to, I felt like God, you know, there's different seasons in church life and in, in our lives, and there's seasons where you're really trying to study the Word intensely, and how many of you know that's really important? But then there's other times when you need to just respond to what the move of the Spirit is doing. Bill Johnson says this, when God serves bread, you eat, but when he serves wine, you drink. Hallelujah. And you don't complain that the one's not happening. <laughs> okay. Holy Spirit, help us. All right, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, so I believe, you know, I want to I teach us into some seasons of refreshing in the Holy Spirit leading up to when Jerry's here, and that'll kind of cap it off, and it'll be really awesome. So we don't need to wait for Jerry to be here to be touched by the Lord. Amen? So in 1 Corinthians 12, we've got Paul writing to the church in Corinth. Corinth is in Greece, and it's not very far from Athens. And so these are people that grew up in a very pagan culture. They worshipped a whole bunch of different gods, like the, you know, the Greek gods, Zeus and Poseidon and Hades. They were polytheists. If you're a polytheist, if you need rain, you pray to one god. If you need to have a kid, you pray to another god. If you need to win a military victory, you pray to a different god. Can you imagine how difficult it would be growing up in that mindset to then transfer your thinking onto becoming a Christian where regardless of what you're doing, you just pray to one god? Paul, in part, in 1 Corinthians 12, is writing to correct some of that thinking. He's writing to correct a whole bunch of different thinking. He starts out the letter by saying that there's a whole bunch of divisions among them because they have all their favorite teachers. And some people say, well, I listen to Andrew Womack, and somebody else says, I listen to Joseph Prince. And then there's uh, super spiritual people that say, I only read the Bible. And, and so there's divisions. And Paul says, look, guys, all these teachers, they aren't anything special. They're just people. And you, you pull the best out of each, each person, and you don't make idols, and you don't, you don't worship man. You just, you're just thankful that there's these different people in your life. And then he starts to correct them about how they come together in their meetings. And back in the day, the, the meetings, the church meetings were very similar to ours in that they would have worship. Now, they didn't have all this cool instrumentation and 
you know, praise God, that we have. But they would sing hymns and stuff, and then they would, somebody would teach the Word, and then they would have the love feast, which was just like Pizza Sunday, basically. But they would also do uh, communion. And at this communion, you know, they didn't drink grape juice because they were, they were Catholic. And so, so apparently some people were getting plastered at the, at the love feast. And, and you know, and, God's, and Paul's like, look, guys, don't, you don't need to be getting drunk at church. And then other people, the rich people, were bringing a bunch of food, and they weren't sharing with the poor people, and it was a big mess. And Paul was trying to correct all that. But you got to understand, the correction is the context of, of meeting on, on Sundays, because they, they met on Sundays, just like, just like we do, all right? So you aren't a heretic if you meet on Sundays. People have called me and argued with me about that. But 2,000 years, churches have been meeting on Sundays. So anyway, it doesn't matter. I don't care when you, I mean, you can meet whenever, but, but anyway, focus. <laughs> The point is that he was trying to bring order to their meetings. Well, in 1 Corinthians 12, he starts to try to bring order to the fact that there's spiritual gifts and there's a diversity of spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. And it's evident that they weren't, they weren't honoring one another in the way that they approached these spiritual gifts and uh, they were talking over each other, and, and it, it, it wasn't decently and in order. In this chapter, he discusses what we would call manifestations of the Spirit. Manifestation just means a revealing or a making plain or a, or a being clear. In John 3, Jesus likens the Holy Spirit to wind. How many of you know you can't see wind, but you can see the effects of the wind? When wind blows through a wind chime, it makes a certain sound. When wind blows through leaves, it makes a different sound. But it's the same wind. The sound that is made depends entirely upon the design of the thing that's being blown through. What that means is that when the Holy Spirit blows on some people, now that's just a metaphor, when he, when he comes up out of you and starts to manifest and reveal himself, when he blows through uh, some people, what they want to do is worship and sing. How many of you recognize we've got great singers up here that, that one of the ways the Holy Spirit manifests himself is through their singing? They were, why? Because they were created to do that. If I got up here and sang, the Holy Spirit might enjoy it, but the rest of you probably wouldn't, all right? Because it's not, it's not what, what I was designed to do. If you're a teacher and the Holy Spirit moves, you think, I need to teach something. If you're a prophet and you feel the Holy Spirit move, you think, I need to prophesy or give a word of knowledge. Evangelists feel like they need to evangelize, do an altar call, get somebody saved. But what we have to understand, and Paul's point in this passage, is that all of these different things are still the movement of the same Spirit. They're not different spirits. Because he's writing to people that were formerly polytheists. 
That's like the main point of the chapter. I think we often miss the main point of the chapter because what we like to do in Western Christianity is put everything into a category and make sure there's a category and make sure we know what the category is and make sure there's nothing that goes outside the categories. But that's actually the total reverse of Paul's point. Paul's point is there's a bunch of diversity, but it doesn't matter what all the diversity is because because it's all people being used in different ways by the same God. And he's writing to a church body, and he's trying to encourage them and help them understand that when the wind of the Spirit blows through people that are created different than you, you might think they're weird Or you might think they're hard-hearted because they aren't responding the same way you are. But they might be designed differently than you. And this is what he talks about in 1 Corinthians 12. This is the main point of the passage, so we're going to read it first, and then we'll go back to to the beginning. So let's read this part. It says... In verse 22, uh, much more those parts of the body which seem to be more feeble. Everybody say, seem to be. Seem to be. That's important. They're necessary. And those parts of the body which we think. Everybody say, we think. We think. So there's some parts of the body that seem to be less honorable, and there are parts of the body that we think are less honorable. And on these we bestow abundant honor. And our beautiful parts don't have any, or they have a lot of beauty, uh, but our, or excuse me, so, the, yeah, and then verse 24, for our comely parts have no need, but God has tempered the body together, having given much more abundant honor to that which it lacks, that there be no schism among you, and that the members should have the same care one for another." Do you know that everybody has a part of their body that they don't particularly like? And we exert extra energy trying to beautify that part. We do a comb over, we strap some stuff down, push some stuff in, you know, we... we <laughs> we, we do... We do different things about the part of the body that we're uncomfortable with so that we can become comfortable with it. Everybody, everybody with me here? Okay, this is, what he's, this is the analogy that he's, that he's using. Paul, Paul used this analogy. I didn't come up with this. So if this weirds you out, it's blame Paul, okay? So this is what he's saying, is there's, there's parts of our body that we're not super comfortable with, and so we exert extra effort trying to make ourselves comfortable with those parts of our body. But it's important, he says, that they appear weak. They appear unnecessary, like the appendix. I mean, what good does that do? All it does is rupture and make you have surgery. It appears, it, it, 
but, but, God's, but it's useful. All right, what is this saying? Paul is saying that in, in the church body at large, like in our own church, but also in, in the whole spectrum of Christianity, there are parts of it that would probably make you uncomfortable. All right, there are parts of the body of Christ that you might think, I don't like, I want to I cover that up a little bit. <laughs> but, now, now listen, there are parts of the body of Christ that are doing things that aren't good. Can we acknowledge that? But there are also parts of the body of Christ that are performing necessary functions but it might not be your cup of tea, and you might think it's weird. And so Paul says, in the same way that you exert extra effort to beautify that part of your body that you're uncomfortable with, you have to exert extra effort trying to honor the part of the body that makes you uncomfortable. Amen, Pastor. Great, great word, Pastor. What's that mean? It means it means we all have opportunities to. There's lots of different types of Christians. There's lots of you know people are some people a lot of times ask me about various ministries. Do you know how many ministries there are on the planet? And do you know how many of them are weird? From my perspective. But does that mean they don't help anybody? No. no. There's something good in just about everything. That doesn't mean I have to do it. That doesn't mean I have to send people that way. But it does mean I need to exert extra effort to look past the thing that makes me uncomfortable and see the gold that is hidden in there. Now, why is it that this applies so profoundly in this area of spiritual gifts? Well, because some, some of the ways that people operate spiritual gifts looks weird. I'm just being real. Now, to me, it, I, don't, I have a really high threshold of what's weird. <laughs> and so it seldom, it seldom bothers me. I mean, I don't care if people are rolling around on the ground and screaming and, you know, or, you know, one time I was praying for God and he, he's just sweating, you know, just sweat. And I'm like, you know, I mean, he, he needed a shower or something. But, but it's, there's just different ways that the Holy Spirit manifests. And I'm, I'm going to honor even the parts that maybe make me initially uncomfortable. You can cry in almost any church. It's, it's historically always been viewed as a gift of the Holy Spirit. Catholic Church recognizes it. 2,000 years. Gift of tears. Anybody ever cried in church service? It's a gift of tears. It's real. It's the Holy Spirit. The universal church acknowledges that. All right? So, even if you think it's weird if your neighbor is crying... It's the Holy Spirit blowing through them. So what do you need to do? Exert extra effort to honor 
what God's doing in that person, even if it seems like it's weird to you. Now, what you can't do in as many churches is laugh. But that's also a genuine manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, when Jerry's here, you'll probably see some different, different manifestations. So, anyway, does that make sense? That's the main point that he's trying to make here. He's not actually trying to give us an exhaustive list of all the different gifts of the Spirit. I know that's not as fun because when I grew up, you know, they gave you the spiritual gifts test. And so it's like all these questions, and it's like, it's like yeah, there's nine spiritual gifts, and there's five-fold offices, and then there's seven motivational gifts, and you take enough, you know, and then, and then, then here's your results, and, and, and bingo, you get to work in the nursery, because, because pretty much that's where we always need people, so we just lie to you and tell you your spiritual gifts align with the nursery. No, I, uh, I, I think there's value in, in some of those kinds of tests, but do you understand that some, some people's gifts fall outside those lists? And that doesn't mean they're less anointed or not used by the Lord. Uh, you know, there's this list in here. So in order, they are the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, different kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues, but I don't believe that's an exhaustive list because in Exodus 31, verses 3 through 4, we won't turn there, but the very first person in the Bible that the Bible says was filled with the Holy Spirit was a man named Bezalel. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit for the purpose of making stuff. Gold and silver, and he, he, he built the tabernacle. He was an artisan. You know, there's still people that are are anointed by the Holy Spirit to make stuff. If you've met my brother-in-law, Neil, he's one of these people. It's amazing. I mean, he made everything in here that's made, he made it. Wait till we get a new building. I mean, you'll, you'll be amazed. If you can visualize it, he can build it. It's like an anointing from God. It's no less, it's no less a spiritual gift than me standing up here and talking. Now, you might think, well, I don't care about any of that. Well, exert extra effort to honor the grace that's on somebody else's life. You know, I don't want to embarrass Henry, but Henry down here is the best artist I've ever... I mean, he's amazing. Well, that's a, that's a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, you know, he can allow the Holy Spirit to flow through him in his art. So I don't believe we're meant to obsessively categorize stuff. Paul's point is actually the opposite. So we tend to, we're tending to focus on all the categories. I, I'm an online facilitator for Karis Bible College, and when I, when I do the, the class on the spiritual gifts, they always try to give examples of the different gifts. And I think that's helpful because people need to know what they are. But inevitably, somebody will ask me, well, Pastor, was this a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom? And it's like this is you know, an all-important question. And the reality is Paul, the whole point of what Paul's saying here is it doesn't matter whether it's a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. It's all the same God. Now, is it, is it helpful to know some of the differences? Sure. 
And I'm not trying to make fun of that, but, but obsessing over whether or not we know the correct definitions and, and what they are, I, I think that sort of misses the point. Because there are no written definitions of the gifts of the Spirit in the Bible. Do you know that? There's no, there's no written definition. All the definitions we have are the combination of people looking at Scripture and seeing things the Holy Spirit did and guessing that's probably what it was, and then also people having personal experiences. So, does that mean we don't know what they are? No, but it means obsessively categorizing and being dogmatic about it misses the point. I don't care whether you're operating in a word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning, experience, prophecy, what... Just let God flow through you and, and change somebody's life. I don't care about the label. Now, if the label helps you understand the different ways that God can flow through you, then that's good. But we aren't meant to obsessively categorize stuff. Okay? So, all that being said, I'm now going to give you definitions <laughs> of, of the nine gifts of the Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a funny church. Okay, so word of wisdom. This is either supernatural knowledge about the future or some kind of divine strategy about how to solve some problem or deal with the present situation. For example, uh, Jesus gets this supernatural idea to pay his taxes, which is to catch a fish with a coin in its mouth. Well, you can't do that apart from a supernatural knowledge from the Holy Spirit. A word of knowledge is just some kind of supernatural insight about something that's going, going on currently or has occurred in the past. So for it to be a word of knowledge, it has to be something you can't know in the natural. And sometimes these two work together. So here's a cool testimony. My friend Marcus Wick, how many of you were here when Marcus was here? Marcus is a prophet. And so, um, one of the things about the gifts of the Spirit is you can, you can do any of them, but some of them come more easily to you than others. And if you're a prophet, the revelatory gifts tend to come more easily to you. Now, you also have to practice. And, but Marcus is, you know, this is what he does. And so, he, he was at my friend Brian Clark's church, and he also went to the Bible college there. And he... He was telling me this because he was real excited about it, and you'll understand why. He said, he said, oh, I had a great meeting. And he said, I saw this guy in the back of the auditorium, and, and he, he called him out, and he said, I see a vision, and I see you restoring classic cars. And I see that as you restore these classic cars, that people get saved and, and healed. And God wants you to know that uh, you're in His will, and that you don't need to leave this to go start a ministry. You, you do these classic cars, and that's what the anointing is on your life, and so you need to keep doing it. So Marcus, um, as you should do, he said, uh, is that right? You know, what do you do? What do you do for, he's asked him, what do you do for a living? And the guy said, I restore classic cars. And, and he said, and I uh, have seen several people give their lives to Jesus and be healed through this, uh, this thing that I do. And Marcus is like, yes. <laughs> because, you know, you can miss it. 
I mean, he's a, he's a seasoned prophet, and he, can, he misses it sometimes. He's missed it with me before, but he's also got it right. I mean, he told us we were going to make a faith decision about this building, and the next Sunday I was like, well, now listen, we aren't getting a building <laughs> soon. Isn't that funny, Josh? So you, shouldn't, you shouldn't mess with God, but anyway... <laughs> I had faith, I just didn't think it was that soon, but anyway, <laughs> I have retroactive faith, <laughs> but, but hindsight's twenty twenty. man, I knew it was going to happen, <laughs> so, but here's the best part, okay, so, so Marcus, afterwards, this guy comes up to him and says, I need to get your, your information, and, and he says, okay, sure, and so he's like, why, do, why, and the guy says, well, I was, during the meeting, God spoke to me, and I'm restoring a a Chevy Nova, and when I'm done, I'm supposed to give it to you. And so Marcus was, praise God, this classic car, so I was like, you need to let me ride in it, but, so, anyway, I decided I needed to prophesy more after that. But that's, in my opinion, that's like a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom working together. So he knew something supernaturally about this person. I mean, if you're going to guess something, you should guess somebody's a truck driver because that's the most common job. I don't think there's very many people that restore classic cars as a, I mean, that's got to be God. Otherwise, you're, you're missing it, right? So that was a word of knowledge. But then he also gave him a word of wisdom, which was, was don't get distracted, do what you're, what you're called to do. So you get a word like that, I mean, that's a lot of confirmation. Now, there's also faith, that's supernatural faith beyond your normal level where, where it's like all doubt is removed temporarily. So I've prayed for people before where it's just like, I just know it's going to happen. It's not always like that. I wish it was, but sometimes it's just like I don't have any doubt. And and when that happens, man, it works. <laughs> so let's believe to operate in that more often. Then there's gifts of healings. That's either a special anointing on an individual to see a lot of specific types of illnesses healed or a special anointing in a service to see certain things healed. It could be any of that. Don't be dogmatic about it. Everybody say this, don't be be dogmatic dogmatic about the definitions. definitions. That's what what makes you fight other charismatics for no reason. I've I've been reading about the the Protestants after the Reformation. I mean, they they all agreed about a bunch of stuff, but then they killed each other because they couldn't agree about communion. I mean, war, killing people. It's terrible. So anyway, let's not be like that. Uh, prophecy, divinely inspired utterances that, that, that reveal secrets and create possible futures. Discerning of spirits, that's when you have supernatural insight into what's going on in the spirit realm. Now, sometimes you can see. There, I've known people that see spirits both angels and demons, but you can also sense them in other ways, like in, like in your body and stuff like that. I'd encourage you if, you, if you operate in that gift, to try to use it to not just see demons, but see angels. 
because there's at least two-thirds as many, two, you know, two times more angels in theory. So I've met people that have supposedly the discerning of spirits, but all they ever see is the devil. So, you know, that's discouraging. So try to look for the good. Then there's tongues and interpretation. Now, this is talking about in a service. So this is when sometimes somebody gives a message in tongues and then it's interpreted and, and the body is edified. Or it, throughout church history, I've been reading about this, throughout all church history, as long as there have been missionaries, there have been times when God supernaturally lets the person speaking either talk in the other language or sometimes they talk in English, but the other people hear it in, in their language. Tyler over here was in Kenya, and he was preaching to these Maasai people, and he had an interpreter. And afterwards, they were like, we don't know why you had that interpreter, because everything you said, we heard it twice. We understood what you were saying. Well, that's one aspect of the gift of tongues. Now, that's different than the personal prayer language, but that does exist. So what you want to understand is that it's possible to operate in all of these gifts in your personal lives, but in the context of church, it's evident that we all have a role to play, and some gifts come more naturally to some people than other people. That's what he's talking about at the end here. So let's read verse 29. He says, Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? So the obvious answer, those are all rhetorical questions, but the answer to all that is obviously no. But some people have used this to say, well, see, it's all sovereign and God, you know, and this is basically an excuse to not ever do anything supernatural. And you just say, well, God, I don't have that gift. That's not what this is talking about. What this is saying is, in the context of a church meeting, it's evident that there are some people that are supposed to be in charge by virtue of the grace that's on their life. There are some people that it's evident that should sing, and there are some people that it's evident they should not sing. But does that mean that those people can't go home and sing? Just means they're not, we're not going to put you on the platform. Right? So what the point is, is, is it's evident that, you know, there are some people that are called to be apostles. So that means that they're called to start things and lay a foundation. And not everybody in the church is that, but anybody can start a business. It's, 20, it's the 21st century. We're all supposed to have a side hustle, right? There's several side hustles. Yeah. Anybody, now, some people have a, have a real apostolic grace, like my friend Daniel over here has, has real apostolic grace to start businesses. So we may not all operate in it to that level, but you can, do, you can start something. You can sell stuff on eBay, yeah. right? So it's like this. There's some people that are like Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan has a tremendous gift to play basketball, but the fact he plays doesn't mean you can't play. Well, there are some people that are Reinhardt Bonnke. Yeah. Reinhardt Bonnke got however many millions and millions of people born again. I'm probably not going to see that many people born again, but that doesn't mean I can't see any. Yeah. 
right? So the whole point of this is just that he's trying to bring order to the meetings, and he's saying, look, you can't all talk at once, and there's some of you that aren't good at certain things, and so you got to let the people that are good at it do that, and you got to do the thing that you're good at. Now, usually I've heard this taught in the context of like Sunday morning, and that, uh, you know, because it talks about there's some visible things and there's some less visible things, and you've got to bestow honor on the less visible things. And that's true. There are a lot of thankless jobs in church, and we want to make sure we honor and thank those people that do the behind-the-scenes stuff. But I think that's really reductionary because it, it implies that the only thing that goes on in church is Sunday morning. And church is not Sunday morning. Church is your whole life. We are the church. You're the church when you leave here. The point is that all of us have a wide diversity of gifting. And not all of us are called to do something from a pulpit Sunday morning. Marley's a physical therapist. There's other people that are called to be lawyers. There's people that are called to, you know, whatever. And there's a, a huge amount of diversity, and you might think it's unnecessary for certain things to go on. I worked with a guy that used to, he used to clean the, the uh, the sewage things in the sewage treatment plant. Thank God for that guy. I mean, you know, that's a hard job. And so we need to honor that. And, and so the whole point of this passage, in my opinion, is just, is just that whatever people are doing, it's a genuine grace from God. And your life is not less special than mine because you aren't in some kind of five-fold ministry. In the West, we have made ministry this major idol, and everybody's trying to be in the ministry. Now, if you're called to be a full-time minister, then that's great. Go after it. But you're in the ministry whether you're like me or not. You can be a minister wherever you, wherever you go. You're called to just be yourself and enjoy life. And this is really the, the truth that Martin Luther taught us. I mean, he, he enjoyed life. And he was a, his wife, I was watching this thing, was like one of the first capitalists. She, she made a hotel business, basically. And the Lutherans were, uh, uh, the Luthers were like one of the wealthiest people in their um, city. They owned a ton of property because... Uh, not because they were stealing anything, but they just were good stewards of what God gave them, and they just kept reinvesting what they earned in their business. Um, so, pretty cool. All right, everybody say amen. amen. All right, well, let's not just talk about this. Let's practice it. So, anybody can get a prophetic word for somebody. All that is is just hearing God and then telling somebody what God is saying. So, we're going to do a quick exercise if, uh, if, you have, if you have a phone with, uh, um, you know, you can write a note or you can write on my notes if you want to. But we're going we're gonna to practice. We've got a few minutes here. There's no pressure, but I want to show you how to do this. And so we want to practice getting a prophetic word for somebody to encourage them. We want to have a prophetic culture. Now, we don't need to be weird. Our culture is not, everybody say, our culture is not being weird, <laughs> all right? What it is, is it's just naturally, it, it should be natural to hear the heart of God for another person Amen. and then tell them about what God is saying. 
should be natural, but we have to practice a little bit. So here's what to do. Everybody close your eyes. Nobody looking around. And I want you to think about a person that you would like to encourage. So everybody just pick one person and just picture them in your mind. Now, what you're probably doing is thinking about all the things that you could say to the person. And you're probably thinking about all the problems that they have and all the advice that you would like to give them. And what you need to do to give a prophetic word is to release all of that right now. And I want you to say this with me. Father, forgive me for trying to fix this person. I relinquish all judgment and I relinquish my right to give advice. Advice is good, but that's not what this is. We don't prophesy advice. We just give it. So now picture the person, and what you're trying to do is not see them with all their problems, not see them with all the things you want to fix, not see them with all the natural thoughts that you're thinking about. And instead... See them seated in heavenly places in Christ. Pray this with me. Say, Father, help me see this person the way you see them. Now just wait. And what you're looking for here is Maybe a shift in your emotions, a surge of hope, a surge of compassion, a shift in the mental picture where they're no longer below a problem but above it. And once you can see them that way, once you have some sense of how God sees them, just quietly to yourself, say, Father, what do you love about this person? And then write it down. don't have anything, don't stress out about it. You can go home and practice this when you have more time. Ask one more question. Ask the Lord quietly to yourself. Father, what is it about this person that will help them overcome whatever it is they're facing? And write it down.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That's real simple. There's different ways to get prophetic words, but that's an easy one. You can do that anytime. Now here's the tricky part. How do you deliver it? You know you're supposed to speak the truth wrapped in love. That means there's some truths that people won't hear if you don't figure out how to wrap it in an attractive package. So what I would encourage you to do, the most attractive packages are humble ones. So I would just do something like this. If you have this word and you have it for somebody, I'd encourage you to take a risk and go to them and say this, hey, at church the other day, we did this exercise, and it might seem a little weird, but I asked God what he thought about you, and I felt like he said, and then tell him what you heard. And then humble yourself still more and say, does that resonate with you? Does that make any sense? If you're unwilling to get that feedback, don't give the prophecy. Because that means you're not willing to grow. Amen.